Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Chasing Breadcrumbs. I have a very special guest today who I very selfishly <laughs> want to steal all of her wisdom because I found myself crying in the cereal aisle yesterday, but I'm sure we'll get to that. I have Rita Denoye Garcia, and I'm sure I Canadianized her name in some way so she can correct me, but I think I got the Garcia part correct. So I'm going to tell you about Rita, and then we're going to dive in. So Rita has been helping people reach their true potential for over 30 years. She has a BA in psychology from College of the Holy Cross and an MSSW from Columbia University. After a long career as a social worker in New York City, and while raising her family, she had a spiritual transformation. She's now a spiritual teacher, speaker, life coach, and author, comedian, a musician, aka we're going to have some freaking fun together. <laughs> that and I've got my Kleenex, so we might laugh and cry. We'll, we'll, we'll walk that balance. Rita's the author of three books, Extraordinary Abundance, Outside of the Box, Love Experiments, and The Self-Compassion Project, and the creator of The Forest Meditations. You can find out more about Rita's work and offerings at becomingawake.com, and we will share all those links as well. And she currently lives with her husband and three kids in New Jersey. Hi, Rita. Thanks for coming Hi, to play. Thank you, Jess, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. I have so many questions. I'm only sharing the audio, but folks listening, I can see her self-compassion book, like in her bookcase right behind her. Oh, this can be good. I need you, Rita. I need you. Okay. I'm here. I'm here. Well, let's start. Before I grill you on all things self-compassion and like managing that little brain of ours, Let's start with your story uh, because the work you do is so fascinating. It, we got a little sprinkle of that story in your bio, um, but tell us about those breadcrumbs you followed that led you to the work you do now, because I doubt it was yeah. on the vision board 20 years ago. So no. what's, what's the breadcrumbs? Tell us those moments. I love the breadcrumb analogy, by the way, because it really is how life unfolds. So, yeah. um, and, and like you said, it's, um, as they come to you, it's not always clear where they're leading. It's just, you know, you just follow it till you find the next one. So with that in mind, I would say, you know, when I was um, in eighth grade, I remember talking to my mom and I would do dishes together and, and we'd be chatting. And I just remember saying to her, um, I want to help the world because I can see we lived in an upper middle class household but we, I could see as we went to different towns that they were very different in terms mm. of poverty and, and people look different and the whole shebang. And, um, and I was really very concerned about that. And I really wanted to make a difference. So that was in me for a long time. Mm. In fact, I used to um, go to New York city and I would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I would bring my, I'd bring like, I'd get a whole loaf of bread, make the peanut butter and, jelly, and then stuff them back in the thing and then go to um, New York city. And I would go to, um, the port authority where the buses come in from New Jersey and I would hand out sandwiches to the homeless people. Now, I don't think you can do that legally anymore, but, <laughs> um, I was just appalled that there were people who were sleeping yeah. in a bus station. Like I couldn't, and New Yorkers, you know, they're used to, it. they kind of just walk over people. And, and, um, mm. but I just was like, as a suburban person, I was like, what the heck is going on here? You, so you hadn't learned to just go, oh, that's normal. Like you hadn't been conditioned yeah. to just, I wasn't not even see it. I wasn't desensitized to yeah. it yet. Yeah. Cause I wasn't around it all the time. Mm. So I was just like, couldn't believe it. Um, so there was that in me and then I grew up Catholic. So I just remember, um, 
My parents were in the choir. They met in the choir. I mean, how wholesome is that, right? <laughs> we kind of make fun of them, like, you know, no, oh, we met in the choir. Anyway, my brother and I used to hang out in the choir loft while they rehearsed, and there was this big statue of Mary in the back. And I used to go, and there was a kneeler, and I would kneel there and I would pray to Mary. And I thought I was going to be a nun. I just thought, I just felt like, is this statue got Mary inside her? Like, I'm not sure how this works, but this is what I'm seeing around me and I'm going to do this. And I remember being a kid and asking one of the sisters, I want, I think I want to become a nun. How do I do that? And she said, Oh honey, wait till you're 18. And then we'll talk again. (laughs) And I was like, why do I have to wait? And then I realized there's a reason why I need to wait because, you know, puberty hit and then the idea of being not interested anymore. (laughs) I have other interests suddenly that are exactly. I'm a little distracted. (laughs) Can you date and be a nun at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Can we have boyfriends? Is that an option? We have boyfriends on the side. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so, so that was kind of in my, those were little breadcrumbs coming. Mm-hmm. And then um, in college, I studied psychology because I think I was trying to figure myself out. Sure. I think most people who study psychology are just like, yeah. I don't get it. And, um, and I went to a Catholic college, the College of the Holy Cross. And one of the things that they, um, really promote is this program called the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, which is like the Peace Corps. They have it internationally and they also have it domestically. And you live a simple lifestyle. You live in spirituality and community and you do social justice work. And so this, which is a little different than the social justice now, I think it's got a different flavor to it, but the social justice work that we did was about poverty. Mm. And um, so I decided to become a refugee resettlement caseworker in Dallas, Texas. I wanted to go to a different part of the country just to see, like I'd heard parts about the South and I just want to see, is that true or not from a Northerner's perspective? Um, And I would say it's a mix, a little of this, and a lot of it's not true. Some of it's Mm. true, you know, Mm. like anything else. Like any myth, there's probably some kernels in there, but yeah, the myth is built on it. Yeah. Right. So we, there were three of us, uh, there was nine volunteers in Dallas Three of us decided to be resettlement caseworkers. We worked at Catholic charities and we literally would pick people up at the airport who were came in through either San Francisco or New York. They were flown to Dallas. We'd pick them up at the airport and get their lives started. Hmm. So get them into housing, making sure they had the bare necessities, food, mattresses, stuff, access, things you need in your household. We would get the parents' jobs, um, as much as we could get the kids in school, make sure all their paperwork was done, social security, TV, they got all their stuff mm-hmm. that they need to be here. And once our money ran out in the budget, they were kind of on their own, but we would mm-hmm. check in on them. And so we were on a clock, we were on a budget and we had limited resources, but we got a lot of people settled. And in that process, I think Go ahead. Jessica. Sorry. I just want to clarify one thing. So this is when you were in college. So you this is were, right after college post-grad 2021. I was 21, 22, something wow. around that. This yeah. Is just, this it was is, a great I'm job like, for a young I'm adult. like on the edge of my seat. Cause I'm, this is just, this is so fascinating to me that you at that young of an age, and I know you'd already shared, this had been a theme for you anyways, yeah. but that you were like, I know instead of like getting a cool apartment, I'm yeah, like, I was so not like, into that. I'm going to move <laughs> to help 
refugees in another yes. state. It, like, this is just, this is so fascinating. Okay. Well, sorry, that's the going. thing. There are a lot of my friends who are like going to law school or med sure. school or getting the Tony apartment in New York or getting the, yeah. and I was so not into that. I was yeah. very much like, how can I help the least privileged amongst us? Like, how mm. can I help the people, you know, who really need help? And, and was this, I, sorry, I do have one more question. I'm yeah, just yeah. curious. Was this at any point, because obviously your parents, they, they met in the choir. So there was, right. I'm sure a theme of, um, you know, I guess spirituality or, or religion in yeah. your house. Was this a push at all from your family of you no. need to give back, you need to go, or was this was no. pure Rita? This was like, I'm going to, in fact, it was a bit, a bit of a rebellion. I have to say. Oh, this is surprising. Okay. Yes. Because my parents were more conservative Catholic. Okay. And I went to a, just going to a Jesuit school was a little too lefty for them. Okay. <laughs> I, and I had no idea there was po- political sure. yeah, some polarity within. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I had got no it. idea. I just thought, oh, this looks like a nice campus. Got it. You know, okay. yeah. it's my SAT scores, yeah. <laughs> you know, like really. And they're like, oh, go, it's Catholic. Go, go. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But they sorry. had no idea the Jesuits were going to take me and give me <laughs> and teach you, know, you that to help the poor do all. Yeah. This. <laughs> I mean, they, we weren't against the poor, but they were just more, you know, like a little more, they thought I was a little naive, I think. Sure. Sure. So um, they're like, where are you living and with who and how and what? Yeah, and yeah. And so, um, so I decided to do that. And, you know, my parents are extraordinary people. They don't have to agree with you to love you. Mm. Right. So, and they may very strongly state their opinion, but they're not going to throw you out of the house. They're not going to demonize you. I mean, I didn't realize how special that was until I left home and then realized that not every parent is like that. Mm. Um, and um, so I really appreciated them actually when I was, living amongst all these other volunteers whose parents were a little more controlling and a little more mm. like do as we say, or else don't bother to come home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Or- and I'd imagine there's this, like, this is maybe just me making this up, but I'd imagine there's this real kind of stable self-esteem that starts really young knowing that you're just, you're going to be loved and it, they can disagree. And they might say like, you are bonkers. Like, what are you doing? But still come home yeah. for Thanksgiving and we love you and good luck. And, yeah. you know. Well, politics is a big part of my upbringing and that my father loved right. to debate at the dinner table, oh, which <laughs> we do not do at our dinner table, right? 2022 yeah. is mm. really hard to debate Different anything landscape like that. to do that, yeah. Oof. But we could, and, you know, there were tears and sure. anger, you know, through my adolescent years, but, sure. um, but my father would be like, yeah, you're a limousine liberal, but come on home for Christmas and- <laughs> You know, he could, and my I've mother would be like, tonight we're not going to talk about politics. <laughs> and every freaking night, it was no, like, where did we end up? No, yeah. oh, what do you think it is? <laughs> what? You know, I'm dropped. Let's go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're always like, it took me a long time to stop doing that with my dad. But, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so they were very concerned about what I was doing yeah. and where I was living and who I was dealing with and all this stuff. Like, what is, what are they throwing her into? And they came to visit to their credit. Mm. They flew down with my sister and they wanted to like, so I gave them a little tour. I showed them the office, introduced them to people, show them where I live. They were like, oh my God, you know, because <laughs> I li- I mean, literally the house that we lived in, not, it was not rare to have 
someone running through her backyard with a policeman running after them. Right. Right, right, right. Not, right. And in fact, I would jog around the neighborhood and security people would be like, Hey, darling, are you lost? Mm. And I'd be like, no, I just delivered it. They're like, you shouldn't be running around here. It's not very, very mm. safe to run around here. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Anyway. So they were a little dismayed, but you know what? I mm. could drive a truck, which they thought was beyond maybe what I could do. And I remember seeing one of my clients who was supposed to be at a, at an appointment and I stuck, pulled the truck over. My parents are in the truck. I'm like, hold on, pull over. I get out of the truck. I'm starving after this. And this guy's like this tall. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at your appointment. You do-. And they're like, oh, sorry. I forgot, you know, because sometimes some of the refugees are, I think because they had to survive, sometimes there was this edge of, I'm not necessarily going to give you all the information because I don't trust you yet. Mm, and so yeah. and that would drive me nuts. I'd be like, look, <laughs> and, and there were also cultural differences. I said sure. nine o'clock appointment. They'd be like nine. That's like 11 where we are. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. there was a lot of that. So anyway, I remember, I think they saw me just reading the ride act to this really big guy. And I came back and I was like, oh my gosh. And my father said, we're not worried about you anymore. Because <laughs> oh. they saw me like, <laughs> you know, to this guy, yeah. like so pissed off. That and must have been such a perspective shift for them because you are their, their little kids. I'm their, and I'm yet, their baby. In that moment, six. you were not at all. And it was like, oh, yeah, she's. Okay. Yeah. She's a, she's an adult. Yeah. We may not agree with everything she does. Sure. And we think it's a little cuckoo crazy, but sure. she's an adult now. So, so I think they, and then they brought it. And then of course they did what parents do. They treated everyone to dinner, you know, in the house. So my, <laughs> everyone loved my parents. They're just like, woo, your parents are great. Cause we never went out. We like literally had a very limited $65 a month, personal $65 a month per person to put in a community pot for all our supplies. Right. So we were on a budget. It was very simple. Mm-hmm. Not, not a lot of luxuries going on there. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, that program as it's designed to ruins you for life. And mm-hmm. um, that's one of their slogans ruined for life. And it shows you what the other America looks like. That was a big part was like, Hey, there are poor people here that need help in various ways. And um, do you want to be part of helping them? And I was very like, sign me up, mm-hmm. you know, I was think I was looking for meaning in my life and yeah. looking to live my purpose out. So that turned into social work school. So yeah. I went to Columbia. I think also I was like, I got to get out of my parents' house. I got to, I got to leave and mm. live in New York city, which is very exciting. So I did that. I worked with the formerly homeless um, mentally ill and addicted. I worked with municipal workers. I worked with families who had children with developmental delays did a lot of different work in New York city. Um, and then, um, and then what, and then I started having, got married, started having kids, worked at an agency with a lot of immigrant families. Um, and then we moved to New Jersey and, um, I had three kids in the house mm-hmm. and, um, was looking for something to do because I wasn't busy enough. Apparently <laughs> three kids, that's a breeze. I think I was, yeah, I think there's this, especially, you know, maybe if it was 1950, I would be volunteering, you know, 
volunteering at an auxiliary and sure yeah you'd be the president of whatever board of the things right. for volunteering and yeah, yeah but I was like I'm gonna start my own business and yeah. in fact I'm gonna make a million dollars and retire my husband and blah blah be the hero and so this was the big breadcrumb I think this was the like the mm. snowball size breadcrumb yeah the big old ball of like Thanksgiving stuffing that you were like yeah. okay there's something here yeah yeah so I was really trying to do that. Um, it wasn't working out well. I wasn't really um, selling a lot of product. Um, wasn't closing a lot of deals, which is not easy to do when you have a toddler on your knee or you're nursing someone, yeah. um, that kind of stuff. So, and I had no idea what I was doing really, not a natural born salesperson. Mm. Um, so I was getting a lot of training. And at one point, the people who were helping me said to the whole team, look, guys, if you're not, if you don't close anyone next two weeks, we're just going to have to like, not let you have all these leads anymore. And to mm. me, that was, uh, I muted the phone and I started crying because I was just like, oh my God, I'm a complete failure. What am I going to do? Mm. And what I didn't realize was that there were other crying people in the household, which worked for my kids because I wasn't really paying attention to them. I was so focused on get it done, close the sale. Mm -hmm. And um, so that afternoon we did a lot of crying and what kept coming back to me was I'm a failure. I'm a failure again. Here I am failing again. I'm not mm -hmm. enough. I'm just never enough. I'm never doing enough. I'm never being enough. There's not enough time. You know, I'm a lousy wife, just like the whole emotional, I call it an emotional dog pile, yeah. you know, we're just like, boom, 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 boom. And I knew I need to turn that around, but I was really very committed to, it's going to be through my business. So I hired a coach who had marketing, a marketing background, because I thought he would help me close people and then mm -hmm. problem solved. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first conversation I had with him, God bless him. He said to me, he could tell that I was all like, Ugh. and, um, he said, Rita right now, can you just take a moment to be kind and gentle with yourself? I had never heard that before mm -hmm. as a strategy. Um, and maybe people had said it to me, but I couldn't take it in. Sure. So my mind went to what's the point of that? I don't, I don't get it. If I'm not doing well, I'm supposed to work harder, I'm just harder, faster, stronger. I don't get this gentle kind stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But the other side of me said, Rita, you are a very good student. You're going to do what he says and see what happens. <laughs> the good student came into, yeah, yes, yeah. just so try good. it. Just try it. Yeah. So I tried it for, for a minute and just, for one minute, I didn't see myself as not enough. I didn't see myself as a failure of a wife or a businesswoman or a mother. I was just being kind and gentle with myself, just like you would with a really good friend who's having a hard time. Mm. You know, you're not going, yeah, you are an idiot. You're going, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Let's just be kind and gentle right now. And so that was a huge breadcrumb. That was like, even in that moment, I thought this is a turning point. I don't know what it means. I don't know where I'm going, but this feels big. And that was really the beginning for me of looking at self-compassion as something mm -hmm. that could be really important to me. 
in getting through tough times mm-hmm. and taking and giving myself some wiggle room so I could see that maybe there were more choices than I saw before. Mm-hmm. Um, just calming the physiology in itself, right? We're always like, okay, first calm down before you do anything rash. Mm-hmm. But most people, if you just say, just calm down, they'd be like, fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> they don't take that very well. No one likes to be told calm down, right? Yeah. If, if there's anything that fires someone up even more, it's being told, I think you got to calm down. You got to calm down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we all say it though. We all of go, of course we do. Because, because people receive it as patronizing and yeah, or like you are doing something incorrect rather than right. the environment is incorrect or, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so his question, can you just take a moment mm. to be kind of gentle with yourself? I think was his way of saying, it's time to take a chill pill a little bit and yeah. before we can talk about this. And I worked with this guy for four years. He was my coach for four years. I met with him every week for the yeah. first three months. I think I cried most of the time. Sure. There was a <laughs> lot of crying yeah. going on. And, um, and then after a while, a couple months in, I felt totally different. I took a step away from my business, which I thought I would never do. Mm. Cause that would mean I was a quitter. We had mm-hmm. that conversation. That doesn't mean I'm a quitter. You know, mm-hmm. we did a lot of work on what I really believe versus, you know, I believe in whatever equal yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. like, yeah. okay. Besides all that stuff, what do you really believe? Yeah. Oh, you believe in peace. So when the guy cuts you off on the highway, are you peaceful or are yeah. you flipping on the bird? Yeah. You really believe in peace? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that was a huge wake up call to me too. Like, oh my God, there are beliefs that are unconscious. Like most of my beliefs are underneath the water of this iceberg and mm. only a few of them are on top. Mm. Like that was revelatory for me. Yeah. So the combination of really looking at my beliefs, what I really believe about myself in the world and being incredibly self-compassionate through that, because it can be humbling when you realize what you really believe. It Mm. can be um, one of the comparisons that I like to look at is when you really believe, when you really realize what you're believing and what's running your life, it's like you've been in a bar and you've been having a great time. Maybe you're meeting someone that you think is amazing. And then three o'clock rolls around and the bartender goes, okay, you don't have to go home. They can't stay here. And they flip the lights on. (laughs) And you realize and you go, Oh God. <laughs> what, what, yeah. Like what is this? no one looks the same. This you realize that you've been like leaning on a bar that probably has like, like 10, sticky goo all over yeah, you. 10 years of yeah. crying and whiskey on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, you look in the mirror and you got like mascara all over your face. You think you're so hot and you're just like, Oh my God. <laughs> so it's really, uh, disquieting to realize that, oh my God, my whole life has been based on the belief that I'm not enough. Mm. And that's all I see around me. And now I flip the light on in that. And I'm realizing that's not a great place to be. It's Mm. time to clean this place up. Oh, so good. Okay. Okay. I, there's something you I, like. There's so many things I want to go go back to in sure. there. Um, 
you said something, and I think it's really important for, for anyone listening that you called it the, what did you call it? The emotional dog pile, or it's that idea of you have just these, I'm not enough. This isn't enough. I'm a shitty wife. I'm a bad business owner. I'm a fit like just this, just the, the, well, the dog pile. Um, and I think what's really important and I want to ask you more about is intellectually, we know some of that stuff isn't true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like rationally and that level of little prefrontal yeah. cortex. Like I actually had that experience, hence why I cried in the cereal. I had that yesterday of like, basically just how shitty and sucky I am and how I'm a big shitty mom and a shitty wife and a shitty this and a shitty that, and I can't get it together and everything feels. And intellectually though, if you asked me, I'd say, oh no, yeah. I know that's not true. There's no evidence for that. Yeah, I know this, but I couldn't emotionally in that moment be separate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that dog pile? Because there's so many of us that are like, I know this is quote unquote stupid. Although ironically adding to the dog pile, but you know what I mean? Is right. 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 (laughs) Not only am I dogpiling now I'm stupid for dogpiling and the whole thing. Right. And how do you like, what, what were those moments that you started to be able to go like, Whoa, Whoa, hang on. Like, how did you even start to see that you were doing it? And sort of start some other skills and practices to not do that? Really great question. I think I totally agree with you that um, our rational mind may start arguing, well, I know this stuff. I know it's not true. I know this is so silly. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a part of you, an unconscious part of you that really invests, has invested decades in right. this back to that beliefs and what is what yeah. you actually believe, not what you think you believe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that everything you're seeing, your perception is seen through this lens of this belief. Mm. So um, that's why like two people could see the same thing and have completely different interpretations right. of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so um So one of the things that I did, one of the first things that my coach taught me was to just allow myself to feel my emotion as it comes up. Mm. My big one was anxiety, felt a lot of anxiety, right? Which is, I think it's, you know, a lot of people do. Sure. So one of the things I did was he said, I just want you to keep like a little journal with you so you can carry it around where you need it. And I want you to just check in with yourself. Like he gave me the option, you know, check in when you're at the stoplight or check in when you're in the grocery aisle or he goes, or you can just check in every 20 minutes, have an alarm. Mm -hmm. I don't think there were even cell phones that, that had alarms on them when I saw him, but anyway, every 20 minutes, just check in. How are you feeling? And what I noticed was that the vast majority of the time I was feeling some sort of anxiety, just sort of Mm -hmm. low level anxiety. And he goes, and whenever you're feeling, what I want you to do is don't try to stop it. Don't try to do yourself out of it or talk yourself out of it. Just allow it to be where it is. And this is what's going to happen. It's going to go up. It's going to get to a climax and then it's going to come down. And what most people do is that they see it going up. Then they start panicking. They start having anxiety and then they start doing things about their anxiety and, or whatever. Yeah. So they do whatever they strategy they have to stop it. Right. They never let it go up and go down. So they never get to see it going down. They think it's only going to go up and up and up and up and up. And when you say strategy to make it go down, are we talking about like things like numbing? Like for me, when yes. I feel an unpleasant emotion, I'm like, I need a trans fat or a sugar to like, yes, to yes. like whatever that is I need to go. Yeah. And, and I'm assuming you mean 
potentially unhealthy things. So probably things, not things that like, I'm going to go for a walk and just feel my, right. like, we're not talking about that. We're talking we're, about what, um, I saw this in a Ted talk, um, lower functioning things, things okay. that are not necessarily great for you. Like, okay, yeah, got it. The piece of cake, the drink of wine, the, right. um, or, um, calling five, mine was calling 20 people. I would <laughs> take a poll about my life. My, another one of mine that it looks on the outside, like, oh, she's so, she's so transcendent. Not at all. Would be reading, which I know sounds like, oh, but that's no, no, no. But it's numbing reading. It's like, I'm going to lose myself in some like Jack Reacher novels so that I don't have right. to feel right. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Got it. Right. So, so there's nothing wrong with having, like, if you're feeling flooded with emotion, there's nothing wrong with, you know, doing square breathing or sure. taking okay. a walk. Those are great things to do. But what he was trying to get at was you're so afraid to feel your emotion that we're going to actually go, you're just going to feel it. Just right. allow yourself feel it. And I would notice like my body, I would notice like my heart would race. I would start thinking thoughts like, oh my God, maybe I'm going to have a heart attack. Um, and then I noticed that it would start to taper off after a mm -hmm. while. Like if I didn't do the thing that I normally did, which was calling 20 people, eating right. the cookie, whatever yeah. it was. So, um, so I started doing that cause I'm a good student. And, um, I was just like, man, Chris, I, I really thought I was going to have a heart attack the other day, but I didn't. And I got through it. And he's like, so how do you feel? I'm like, I don't think I'm afraid of that anymore. Hmm. Like, I just, it's like, we get afraid of our emotions and then we do anything and everything to try to avoid feeling them, hmm. which usually gets us into trouble. Oh, I just had like a, like a, it's, it sounds like, it's almost like you were teaching yourself that you can handle it. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yep. hang on, we're going to ride the wave. And ta-da, we survived the wave, even yeah. though not comfortable at all. It's almost like to see, see body yeah. and brain. Like we can, we, we can do okay. this. Yeah. It's not pleasant, but we're okay. Yeah. Right. Okay, and you I know, it. I just want to give the disclaimer that if you are experiencing trauma, you need to talk to someone about it. Yes. Huge disclaimer of get the mental health support you need. Absolutely. Yeah, get it. Yes. Don't try to like, just process all your trauma on your own. Usually you <laughs> you're having a panic attack on the subway. Like, oh, well, you're okay. Yeah. Just you feeling the support. panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> get, get, yeah. get the help, get the help, get yeah, the yeah. help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Support. But, but what I noticed was that I was petrified of being anxious. So I would do all of these things right. in my life to not have the anxiety, but I never was really curious about what's the anxiety about? What does it really feel like? And what is, why do I feel anxious about this? And so the other thing you had to do, you told me to do was to write down your thoughts that you're having while you're having this feeling. And one of the times when I really had it was I was driving my kids to uh, preschool or I, maybe preschool or one of the other schools, like mm. the elementary school. And we were late and I could feel the anxiety coming up. I was at the stoplight going, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We're late, we're late, we're late again, 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 again. And I, you know, afterwards I kind of wrote it down, like we were late, blah, blah, blah. And I could feel the anxiety. And then he's like, so tell me more about like, why is that? Why does that make you feel anxious? And I'm like, well, cause we're late. And he's like, but what about being late? I'm like, well, because if we're late, then I'm going to get the look from the teacher mm. that I'm a terrible mother. Uh, 
Hmm. And he's like, and what if she thought you were a terrible mother? And I said, then she would find me out. Hmm. Yeah. She would finally know the truth. I'm a terrible mother. I'm just not good enough. And I can still feel the emotion of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And so simple things like being late to something has this whole other meaning behind it, which is what stirs up all the anxiety. And so then we went even more deep. Well, why what's okay. So you're a terrible mother. What does that mean? Mm. You know, and we kept uncovering and covering and it came to this place of, I'm just not enough. I'm just not enough. I always have to be doing something or earning something or making up for something which is probably why I was trying to start a business while I was raising my kids and not having any childcare. And, you know, it all came from that place of I'm just not enough. And I sat with that and I was like, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Mm. Like when I really think about it, but if you would ask me logically, do you think you're enough? I'd probably be like, yeah, I'm totally enough. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I needed to do that deep diving to get to that place. Okay. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Cause what I can imagine is someone listening going, but how could that have been bad? Because you got your degree in psychology. You got your master's work in psychology. You helped all these people. You did all this yeah. volunteering. Like you were a fucking badass. So how could that possibly be a right. bad motivator given what it right. quote unquote, drove you to do? So right. what is your thoughts on that, 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 you know, idea that, well, but yeah, it maybe sounds shitty, but look at what you did because right. of it. Right. Right. Well, that's the great thing about these beliefs is that there's always a payoff with the belief. Right. Yeah. So yeah. One of the, re- one of the way, one of the reasons I think most people don't want to drop a lot of these beliefs is because it motivates them to do these things. Hmm. They can then go tick, tick, tick. Right. But it's never going to be enough today. Hustle for my worth today. Like exactly. (laughs) And people are like, Ooh, look at you. Oh, you know, you get rewarded from society. You get rewarded um, from your family, but really you're kind of just on this treadmill of, well, you're never going to be enough. There's always more to do. So you can't even enjoy it. Like I remember a friend saying to me who was much more into business. I was visiting a friend who was not into like, at that point in his life, he wanted to build an empire in his business. Like that was his yeah. ambition. And I was like, you know, the hard on your sleeve social worker with my handmade um, uh, Guatemalan dress <laughs> and my Jesus sandals because I was supporting women in Guatemala, you know, yeah. like all, it, everything was like, yeah. What would Jesus do? And this is nothing that's bad about that, but I was very much, that was my persona. And I went to visit him and he's like, you're so good. You're such a good person. I don't know. He's like, I, it's amazing to me that you can do what you do. It must be such a big sacrifice. And I'm like, no, it's what I want to do. It's what I want to do. You want to do this. I want to do that. It's just, Mm. and, but I couldn't even take in that I was a good person. Like I couldn't even, I couldn't take, I mean, part of it is I think he felt maybe a little guilty when he was saying it, like, you're the good one. I'm like, right. And I'm the capitalist 
like thug who's just out right making the monies so yeah yeah right that, was, that right. dynamic possibly there yeah <laughs> yeah but I was just like no really I am doing what I want to do which is true but I think underneath that was this because I got to fulfill this not enoughness so it wasn't in other words I think and then I think most people are like that they have these unconscious beliefs that drive them to do things um they may be doing extraordinary things but I realize if you're doing them from a place of not enough, then no matter what you do, you can't enjoy it. You can't really mm. celebrate it because there's always going to be another, the next thing. Right. That you You'll just do. have moved the goalposts. There's the next thing you need to do for us to hustle for your self-worth and for your. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All, so yeah, no, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it also, I had like zero boundaries. I think it also. Right. That sounds very on brand for a, like a, men, like a social worker or for someone who's in. Yes you know, volunteering with refugees, that, that sounds on brand for, for someone that maybe there's some boundary issues that might need to happen. (laughs) Right. Right. So because it was never enough, I could never do enough. Right. So I would, um, maybe over, I would not necessarily respect boundaries that need to be respected and regret that later Mm. learn. I learned a lot lot of lessons. Let me say, let me just say that. Um, and it would get me into situations that were not comfortable for me. Yeah. Um, but even that I'd be like, I'm so stupid, Ugh. you know, so I'm an idiot. I caused this. I'm such a, right. Yeah. Right. Or I'm being punished for not being enough. This is just mm-hmm. punishment because I'm not really that great a person. So that's the price you pay, you know? Yeah. That negative cycle of like, if only I had been a better person, then this wouldn't have happened. So I have to work harder to be a better person. And then it still happens. So then you get it's yeah. like the, it's a cycle. It's a vicious on. cycle. Vicious yeah. cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So self-compassion has yeah. become kind of your stake in the ground around how you live your own life. It sounds like what, and it's not, I think you, you said such a beautiful analogy before we hit record about, <laughs> you said something like the rhythm of life and mm. mountain climbing, but I will have you articulate better <laughs> than I just did, but no, but it's this concept. Like you weren't like, okay, self-compassion is now done. I've mastered it. I don't have to think about it or do anything. I can just teach others about it. I'm like, I'm done that. That's off the list now. I'm guessing that hasn't been no, your experience with self-compassion. That's like akin to saying, you know, I did that Hatha yoga class. I'm, I'm now, done now done with yoga. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm, I just have all the benefits and I never have to get on the right. mat ever again. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's a practice really. So, I mean, I call it the self-compassion project, but it's really like a complete lie and trick to get you to read the book because <laughs> it's really a practice, but projects for me are really attractive because it's like, mm. it's just a project I'm working mm. on. It's an experiment. That's why I wrote the book about experiments. It's like, let's just dive in here and see what happens. A little project. And then you're like, I kind of like this project. I think I'm going to make it a practice. So, um, so with the self-compassion, it's something I still, there have been times when friends have said, Hey, have you read your workbook lately? <laughs> maybe it's time to crack that sucker open. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> have you read the book that you wrote in your own words? Have you checked yeah. that one out? Yeah. 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 It's mm-hmm. pretty good. It's got some jokes mm-hmm. in it. It's good. Um, so it's a, a constant thing that I am, I don't know if working on it, but being mindful of is, am I being compassionate with myself right now? Am I being hard on myself? Um, But I'm so much better at it than I was like a thousand percent better than Mm. when I started. Yeah. Um, Because I see the value of it. I think part of it is 
you know, I see the evidence of what happens when you allow yourself that self-compassion. It really can shift things. It, it, it shifts things in a way where there's these different parts of you can kind of like relax a little bit and integrate with you. And then they're your great allies. They're not fighting against you. They're not trying to take over. They're not going, she's not listening boys, you know, <laughs> whoop, 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 you know, bat louder, louder, you know, they're going, nope, she got it. She loves us. She has compassion for us. We got it. We just had to give her that one little, mm. you know, shout out. And she's like, got it. I got it. And then. Well, and when you say it works, it does make sense. And I, again, I want to not play devil's advocate, but for someone listening, who's thinking that's all well and good for you, that you're wandering around talking, talking nicely to yourself, but I don't have time for that shit. I got bills to pay. I got food to buy. I got diapers. I got to get, I got to pick the kids up from school. Like I don't have time for that shit. Yeah. But you specifically just use the words it works. So can you just give us a little more about for those people who are like, I don't have time. Yeah, that was me. That was literally me. You said exactly (laughs) what I said to my coach. When we weren't even talking about self-compassion, we were talking about being present, just being present, which is self-compassion is a form of being present with yourself. Okay. So um, uh, he said, can you just be present right now? And I was like, all right, you want me to be honest with you, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, I got things to do. I got the running list in my head, being present, not working for me. I got stuff to do. Mm. And, uh, because I have to be enough. And, um, <laughs> this is the sub, the subtext there, the footnote is yeah, the footnote. I gotta prove I'm enough. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, being present, isn't about not doing things. It's about being present as you're doing them. Mm. So being compassionate is not about just sitting on a cushion all day. Hmm. being compassionate is about, can you be compassionate with yourself as you're doing this list? Right. Yeah. So it's not either go to work or be compassionate with yourself. It's like, go to work and while you're there, yeah. Be practice these, these self-compassion. Yeah. It's like, it's like a office yoga or whatever chair yoga, like do this, do that. (laughs) Like, it doesn't mean you don't work. It just means like, maybe you take a little break for a minute and you do some, you know, um, breathing or something, but, Mm -hmm. but in the self-compassion work, I do have like a process that I have people do when they have like issues that are just really uh, Mm -hmm. not working stubborn stains. I call them. (laughs) It's not coming out. It's the, what's that spray that used to ring around the collar. Anyway, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I do have exercises in the book where like breathing exercises and stuff that just help you within a minute or 30 seconds, just come to a better place. But then I have a process where people are doing more of a deep dive on the parts of themselves that come up, what they think is reality, but is a story and a narrative that they're saying. Right. Mm-hmm. And those characters that come up and can you be compassionate with them as they're suffering in their situation? And mm-hmm. what would you, if they were little kids, your little kids maybe. Would you be like, you're so stupid? Or would you be like, oh, honey, come sit in my lap. Just take a couple mm. breaths. I'm so sorry you're suffering with that. Mm. Tell me about it. And what do you need? What do you need right now? And usually that is like, I need to take a break. I need someone to tell me I'm not an idiot. I need someone to tell me I'm I'm not making this up. Um, I need to take, you know, I need a hug, you know, whatever it is. And you give yourself the thing that you need 
And then you'd be amazed how, when you give yourself what you really need, and I'm not talking about the wine or the cake, Sure. then you're able to go, maybe there's a different way to look at this, or maybe I can make that phone call, or maybe this person has a point of view that I just don't understand yet, or maybe I need to stand up and say my truth right now. It gets you to a different place that maybe you didn't mm-hmm. see before because you're so caught up in the narrative and, and the not enoughness or whatever it is that's going on in your head. That's mm-hmm. what self-compassion does. I, I kind of write it as self-compassion is like the divine sitting with you and going, Hey, what's going on? Yeah. Oh. Read. I knew you were going to make me cry. Like just listening. <sighs> you fucker. Um, <laughs> That was my uh, goal. You got uh, me. Mission accomplished. I mean, just the amount of time, so many people I know, um, because let's be honest, when I'm self-employed, I get to work with mostly, a shout out to the people I work with, just these lovely, kind, compassionate, sensitive people who go through their whole world asking everyone around them, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Their, Their boss, their colleagues, their partner, their spouse, their kids, their dog. And the idea of just sitting down and saying, what do you need to yourself? It's like, sorry, everyone. Like, oh, it gets yeah. me because I don't think yeah. it happens. No. And I think, I think you made such a good point that I want to reiterate. You can trust yourself because if the answer is I need a fucking bottle of wine, that's not what's underneath that. Cause you don't, yeah. like, your body doesn't want a bottle of wine. Right. My God, it doesn't, but what does no. it need? Maybe it needs rest. Yeah. Maybe it needs calm. Maybe it needs quiet. Maybe it needs nature. Maybe it needs a freaking babysitter for a night. I was just going to say, maybe you need a babysitter. (laughs) Right. Right. But like, you can trust yourself when you answer that question. There's something underneath that, that you can, you can trust when you say, I need the whole cake. What do you actually need? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you need a fuzzy blanket and to just have a nap. I don't like whatever. And I remember, you know, in the nineties, I was reading um, conversations with God, those, that book series, Neil, um, I was going to say Neil deGrasse Tyson's not him. It's uh, Neil Walsh. Mm. And um, one of the things, the themes in that book is you can just choose again. Mm. Like it never occurred to me before I read that, like you choose things and then there's a result. And, and most get what time, you get and don't get upset. And exactly. Then and then mm. most times you can go, well, I can make a different choice next time. Yeah. I get to choose again. Yeah. Oh, okay. Rita, I want to hang out with you all day, but I'm aware that you have other things to do today <laughs> than just hang out with me. So I'm loving if someone is listening to this and going, yeah. okay, okay. You've officially piqued my interest. Kind of curious about self-compassion aside from yeah, going to your website and getting your book, which I'm like, I'm going to full on push, <laughs> go get the book. What is a little experiment someone could do if they just want to have the, like the teaser taster version of this work that they could go and play with in their life today or next week? What, what would be a little experiment that you'd offer to people on this? I would say based on what we talked about earlier, when I had my big snowball mm. of a breadcrumb, I would for a minute, just go sit somewhere undisturbed, uninterrupted, maybe even outside where it's nice out and you're in nature and put your hand on your heart and close your eyes and just take a couple of breaths and just focus on being kind and gentle with yourself mm. for just a minute. You could put a minute timer. 
Yeah. And just experience that. Mm-hmm. And just breathing. I think breathing and being conscious of your breathing is an act of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard. That's the thing. We make it out yeah. as hard because it's something we don't, we're not used to doing, Yeah. but it doesn't have to be hard or complicated. Yeah. It could just be like, I'm just going to sit in the backyard or sit on a bench or make sure you're not in a, like on a highway or driving or anything like that. Hand on the heart, close your eyes and just, yeah. Just be kind and gentle with yourself. Oh, Rita. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I know what I'm doing when I get off this call, but anyway, yeah. um, before we do lightning round period yeah. for fun, where okay. can people find you? If they're like, okay, where's the damn book? Where, like, where do I, where right. do I go? Where can they, where can they get you? So my website is becoming awake. So that's kind of the overview of who I am and what I do. And there's, there's coaching on there and channeling and events and all that stuff. And the book is on there, but another great place to get the book if you don't want to just download the PDF and you want the physical book is you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on uh, Goodreads and you can buy it on Barnes and Noble. And I think there are probably other, maybe Abe's books or something also sells it. There's some outlets that I don't know about mm-hmm. that are selling it. No, really every once in a while, I'm like, I don't know what this is. Oh, I guess is. you can get it there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those are the three big, and, and the reason I ask people to buy them on there is because you can write a review. And if you right. write a nice review, it really helps mm-hmm. for other people to find out about the book. Mm-hmm. It's not like for all the glory for me, it's like, if you care about yourself and you also care about other women moms in your life who you think may need it spreading the word is really powerful and if they Mm -hmm. see your review on there and it's a positive one they're much more likely to invest in that go go a little beyond their comfort zone and go well maybe i should look at this you know so good Wonderful. And we will I will of course include the links to your site. I mean and and uh any other I don't know if you're on social media or anything, but any links yeah. you shared, I'll make sure we okay, share too. Great. So yeah. people can find you and soak up more of your gems. Okay. Rita, my friend, we're gonna do lightning round and then I'm okay. gonna let you get back to your day. Okay, you ready? Thank you. Okay, I'm ready. Oh my gosh. And I gotta blow my nose, but I'm gonna do it after lightning round. Okay. okay. It's like tear, you know, it just starts coming everywhere. Okay. okay. Ready? Yes. Question one. Sunrise or sunset? <sighs> Sunrise. Who is one of your heroes? Oh, wow. These are good ones. Um, my mom. Coffee or tea? Oh, a hard one. Um, tea. If you could be any animal for one day, what would you be? Eagle. Nice. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, I would say, um, a really nice grilled steak and a a whole load of roasted vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that. <laughs> Maybe some the salad end. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of what I eat. But anyway, go ahead. Meditation or yoga? Meditation. If you won the lottery, what is the first thing you'd spend some money on? 
Um, I won the lottery. The first thing I would spend money on would be college tuition for my kids. Nice. That's very fair. <laughs> get that sucker paid off. Get, get that done. Uh, okay. You're on a desert Island. You get one book as entertainment for the rest of your life. What do you pick? Ooh, one book as entertainment. Oh, that's a hard one. You know, this sounds really like something a politician would say, but I think it would be the Bible because it's got a gazillion pages and I would probably have fun like waxing poetic about it, like having my interpretation, something you can really study. Oh yeah, I get um, that. I mean, there's people who literally study it their entire lives. So yeah. I think you could live out a desert island trying to decide what Ruth really meant or whatever. I get that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, yeah. So it's it's not that I'm a big Bible reader necessarily, but I thought if, if this is it. This is it. This and is and awesome. I got to think about it a lot, probably that. Okay. There's a lot of stories within there. That's a good anthology yeah. to pick through. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Mountains or ocean? Ooh. Man. Like where I would want to live. Sure. I'll go with that interpretation. Oh, I love both of them. <laughs> That's so hard. Um, ocean. Okay. What is your dream travel destination? Ooh. Um, boy, I think I'd like to travel around South America. I've never been to South America. Nice. Do you speak Spanish or Portuguese by any chance? I speak a little bit of Spanish okay. enough to keep my in-laws happy. Okay. <laughs> no Portuguese. You could maybe get by a little bit in some countries there, though. Okay, that's, I could that's, just, that's fair. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whoa. I could do all the animal sounds if I'm hungry. Okay, last question. You have a billboard in every urban center in the world. What do you put on that billboard? I love you. Oh. Trying to get me to cry again. I know. <laughs> I know. Damn you, Rita. <laughs> Rita, I can't explain how grateful I am for your time and your wisdom. And oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Jess. You made it easy. All right. Stay in touch. Talk soon.